Hi, welcome to What Chance. I'm your host, Karin Elias. This podcast is about people who have been to prison. It's about their life before and after prison. I talk to educators, social workers, activists, and the formerly incarcerated. I want to find out what happened. Are some people at higher risk of going to prison? And what is it like to reintegrate into society? What does the justice system and society really care about? Punishment or rehabilitation? Come, join me. My guest today is Margaret Lechner. She is an AVP facilitator who has led workshops in various prisons in the community around the theme of nonviolent conflict resolution. And she has trained many inside and outside facilitators. Hi, Margaret. Welcome. It's good to be with you. I was wondering how you got started with AVP. And what is AVP, the Alternatives to Violence Project? Well, 20 years ago, I was director of a community mediation center in Richmond, Indiana. And the local jail asked us to do a conflict resolution program for them. I had a long background in experiential education. One of the volunteer mediators at my center was an AVP facilitator. And so together we created a program for this local jail, but then that got me interested in AVP between volunteer mediators at the center and some of the Quaker meetings in the area. We trained a whole group of facilitators in AVP. Then I moved in, let's see, 2005, I moved to Connecticut and became heavily involved in AVP. So what is AVP? Alternatives to Violence Project started in New York prisons 40 years ago. An interesting combination of factors brought it together. Uh, one was the Attica uprising, the um, prison rebellion in 1971. Many of the people who been in Attica ended up being transferred to Greenhaven prison where the administration was very interested in helping them work together to find a better way to live in prison and also a way to keep young people from going to prison. They recruited Quakers who were coming into Greenhaven for religious services and the Quakers recruited Bernard Lafayette, who was one of the trainers working with the civil rights movement. He'd been working with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, training people to do actions such as lunch counter sit-in. So it really was three different routes, inmates in Greenhaven prison, the Quakers and the civil rights movement that came together in 1975. Yeah, that's interesting because when you think about, okay, it's the Alternatives to Violence Project, but it had a social justice issue component, it seemed. Yes. I think that some people, probably more in Auburn prison, really did focus on social justice. 
It certainly had roots in social justice movement. Though one of the things that the prisons are cautious about is we're not training people to organize a social justice movement. So the focus in prisons has always been more on individual skills, but those individual skills can transform a prison. And I have actually visited one prison in Florida where I would say that the AVPers had taken over the culture of the prison. That's interesting because you have seen different prisons. So you, I think you mentioned in Indiana, it was more smaller prisons. Then in New York, was the size different? Yes. Well, in Indiana, I was in a county jail. And the difference between jail and prison is prison is for people who have been sentenced. And the maximum security prisons where I've worked is people with long sentences. Jails, people are either on very short sentences or the majority of the people in jails are often awaiting trial. They just don't have the funds to um, post bonds. So you have very different dynamics in terms of in prisons, people may be there for years. And then that has led to the design of AVP, which is it is always co-facilitated by inside and outside facilitators working together. So when I go into a prison to work, I am on a team which has inside facilitators and myself and maybe one other outside facilitator. A very different dynamic than the jail where you don't have the long-term inside population who can become inside facilitators and really influence the culture of the whole system. Going back a little bit to what you said before and also what you said now, so one person you saw that the structure of AVP and how it influenced the inmates really changed the culture in the jail or in the prison, you said. And then you also talked about inside facilitators that you are on a team with, so you are in equal positions, which is maybe something people are not imagining happening when you talk about volunteers going into a prison? Two different themes. Let me start first with Homestead Prison down in Florida. Because inside facilitators are there 24-7, they're not just doing workshops. They are modeling alternatives to violence on a daily basis. So for example, they, they told us the story in Homestead about how it was hot summer tempers were rising and the AVP facilitators started doing light and livelies, which are a game, but the game with the intention of defusing high emotion. And it passed from unit to unit around the prison. So all of a sudden throughout the whole prison, the AVP facilitators were facilitating games that helped reduce the tensions on this hot summer night. And it worked. And it worked. Now, I wasn't there, obviously. I, I know this as a story, but just my feel of the way people were interacting. This uh, visit was during an AVP national gathering where a large group of AVP facilitators came in, outside facilitators from around the country came in, and the inside team was put on a program. We, we shared a program. But my impression was that they really had significantly influenced the culture. My impression is that a large portion of the 
residents of that president had taken ABP, had participated. So I think that's marvelous. That's one of my goals is change the culture on the inside. Let the culture of ABP take over the culture of the prison. And did you find that that was different from the other prisons that you have been in? That one struck me as particularly noticeable. So I say it is different, but I, I don't know that it's unique because I have only been in a few different prisons. I would not be surprised if, if there are other places around the country and maybe around the world where ABP is in prisons to, uh, that have had strong impacts on the prison cultures. And in, inside, when the residents come to AVP, it's something they volunteer to do, right? It's not mandatory. One of the precepts of AVP is that one is there voluntarily. The challenge in prison is for people who are incarcerated, so much has pros and cons. You know, AVP certificate looks good in one's file when one goes for parole. Certainly there's a lot of facilitators encouraging their friends to come, the friends who are resistant, and then they become involved and then they become facilitators. Like plenty of facilitators said, I wasn't gonna come. I just did it because someone told me I ought to do it. And then they got hooked. So that speaks for the program, I think. It's yeah. really valuable, yeah. I know inside facilitators who say AVP saved my life. It gave them a, a different way to be. And so I think AVP works on two levels. One is the specifics of here are techniques. If I'm getting angry, I can breathe. You know, here are ex exercises to reduce my tension level. Here are ways of doing X, Y, or Z to be less violent or diffuse a situation. But it also is an attitude. It, it is a choice of how I will respond. Not only do I have the techniques, but I have a way of looking at people and the world that says, I won't respond with violence, even when violence is coming at me. I'm now thinking back when you said how you got started, because you were describing this program that has this huge impact on people who are in prison because often, of course, they are there for violent acts or have met violence in their upbringing. What did you think, did you know what prison was like, who was in prison, the background of anybody who was in prison before you started this? Very little, very little. Um, as I said, my first experience was in the county jail, and I certainly can, as I think every volunteer will say, remember the clang of the gates closing as you go through the, do the double gates of, a, of the trap when you go in. And the first time I did AVP in a New York prison, <laughs> it was one of those lovely situations. We didn't happen to have any chairs in the room. So the women went and borrowed milk crates and we sat on milk crates all weekend. These workshops being Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And I figured, okay, this is dedication. <laughs> this matters to people if they're willing to sit on milk crates all weekend. One of the women asked me, you know, said, I'm a murderer, are you afraid of me? And I said, I don't think so. A day or two later, 
we were joking around. I don't remember the specifics, but it was something I said, oh my gosh, you're a murderer. I'm so afraid. And we just laughed about it. Yeah, in maximum prisons, there are people there who have done terrible things. And that's the truth. There are people there who have done terrible things. And a lot of the folks I've met say, I grew up in prison. It was in prison where I took stock of my life and decided what kind of person I wanted to become. Now that's not everybody. There are plenty of people who are just doing their time coasting through. But the wonderful thing about working with ABP inside co my co-facilitators on the inside is I'm working with the people who have changed, who have turned their lives around. And that's amazing to think of with all the challenges of living in prison to make that commitment to to change their lives is pretty awesome. So when I go in, one part of me is clearly doing workshops for the 15 participants in the room, but another part of me really is being mentor to the handful of inside facilitators that I'm working with because they're, they're the ones who know much better than I the day-to-day -day challenges. You know, their lives are on average much closer to the participants' lives than mine mine is and it does sound like there is a bonding experience between the outside and inside facilitators and just to explain an outside facilitator is somebody who's a volunteer who comes to the prison and inside is a resident who is in prison for some crime and is a facilitator but it seems like there is could you say that something like a friendship can develop Yes, and there are inside facilitators who I do consider friends. And as a volunteer in the New York, in any prison system, there are also boundaries that I keep. Um, and that is an essential part of being a volunteer. I can't say that they are the same as my friendships on the outside, but we share a lot of important work together. And I have developed tremendous respect for inside facilitators who, how seriously they may take the workshop. A wonderful example, I was doing a workshop on the topic of forgiveness. And Saturday night, we wrote letters of apology. Uh, we being facilitators also participate. Uh, part of the idea of AVP is we're all learning together. so we participate in the activities. So we'd all written our letters of apology and I went home for the night and came back the next morning. And one of my co-facilitators on the inside was just dragging. She clearly had not gotten a good night's sleep. And it's not uncommon for folks to go home from the workshop and watch a movie or whatever. Well, the reason she'd gotten no sleep was she had given her letter to the person with whom she had had a, a altercation and they'd spent the night reconciling. Now, I hadn't put my letter into the mail, but she had delivered her, her letter and done the work of working on forgiveness. So who's the senior facilitator here? Yeah, and I think at this point, we might want to also mention that AVP has exercises. It's not lecturing, right? It's not therapy. It's exercises that everybody participates in. 
facilitators as well as participants. So it seems that this can be very personal, very emotional at times. And maybe people might be sharing things that they have not shared with others. Oh, de definitely. I mean, I've, I've repeatedly had the experience of participants saying, this is something I have never told anyone. I haven't told my counselor, I haven't told, but there is enough safety in this circle that I feel free sharing something that I'm not proud of, but I want to acknowledge that that has been part of my life. And I would imagine that for somebody who's in prison, this must feel, I don't know if you want to use the word good, but, or a relief that there is somebody who's listening to me and who doesn't judge me for what I have done. And that somebody isn't just the facilitators, it's everybody in the circle. People just get amazed. As I said, a lot of participants come in skeptical. They come in with their arms crossed in front of their chest, kind of slouched in the chair and, okay, I'll be here. And then we do activities, the early ones, just building the community so that we are willing to speak with each other positively. One of the very first exercises we do is affirmation names. You take the name that you, you choose to go by and then you attach another word, an adjective, starting with the same letter or same or sound that describes you and is aspirational, both. So for example, I'm Margaret. Over my time with an AVP, I've been mindful Margaret. I've been mystic Margaret. Uh, and you are? Well, I'm kind Karen. <laughs> now, I'm wondering you to notice, you just started laughing when you said that. And that happens inevitably when we do this. When you go around the circle, people start laughing and they'll start helping each other. Some will go, I can't think of anything positive to say about myself. Okay, as a group, let's brainstorm 20 positive words that start with the letter K. So all of a sudden we're helping each other. We're laughing together. We're saying positive things about ourselves. Our early exercises always have listening skills as a component so that we develop the skill of just plain listening, which is probably one of the strongest tools there is in nonviolence. And it takes a conscious decision to choose to be a listener. Hmm. So listening, thinking positive about ourselves seems to be challenging for many of us. I'm assuming not just for people who have been to prison. Oh, yeah. I would also say standing up for oneself in a manner that is assertive without being aggressive. Because so many people have learned the way to stand up with for myself is with aggression. But there's that fine line of finding a, a response that is assertive without being aggressive. Simply rolling over is not working for nonviolence. And as a matter of fact, one of the joys of co-facilitating is I, as a white woman, can say, we should be nonviolent. And lots of folks on the inside will go, yeah, right. But my inside co-facilitator can say, I haven't gotten a ticket in 10 years, a ticket being 
citation for misbehavior in prison. So I haven't gotten a, ten, a ticket in 10 years. Am I a punk? Mm. Well, no. So it's the insiders who can say and model things that I never could. On the other hand, I, especially in the men's prisons, I as a woman can say things that the men can't. So for example, we, we talk about listening and I might say, uh, yeah, you know, often I have to just remind my husband, I don't need your advice. I just want you to listen and hear me out. I'll figure out my own thing to do, but I just need someone to help me process it. And the guys will go, my wife says that all the time. She just wants me to listen. I go, she's right. Listen to her. So I'm saying things that my inside co-facilitators can't speak with the same authority. So that's why we have much stronger teams by being insiders and outsiders together. And I am also thinking about what you said about violence, that people who are in prison might have had a surrounding where violence was the tool of communication because that's how you kind of stood your ground. You, that was your status. That's how you had power. And they didn't see the other choice because that meant you'll be the victim. Oh, yes. And, and you heard my hesitation there. You know, I don't want to speak for people who've been incarcerated. I can speak about my insights. They're the ones who can speak with much more experience. But yes, the vast majority of people who I've met in prison have violence as a large component of their backgrounds. There's a movement within the prison community of trauma-informed. And one of the initial questions is ask, what was done to you? Because a person who's incarcerated cannot develop empathy for their victims until they've dealt with their own trauma. And that's where we want to get, right? We want people to get to the point where they can recognize what they did, recognize that impact, and then be able to work toward making whatever amends they can at the time. Well, one step along that way is doing their own healing. People in AVP say again and again, hurt people will hurt people. We say that AVP is not therapy. We aren't therapists, but it often is very healing. So what you're describing is that as you are co-facilitating, as you're meeting the participants, there's a lot of sharing of, you know, what happened in each person's life before. And I was wondering, what did that for you when you heard their stories and how did you see your own life? How did you reflect on that? Did it influence you in some way on how you would act differently? Yes. And how many thousand of ways, thousands of ways. It's helped me look at my own family, my own upbringing, my own hurts, and just layers and layers of insight. Often we would be doing exercises. And again, I said, as a volunteer, I am doing the activities and I may not be sharing out loud all of what I'm thinking about my personal life, but I'm certainly doing reflecting. And so tremendous amount of insight into my own childhood traumas and what I might call my shadow side. 
insight into racial dynamics, learning where my racism is and learning to be comfortable. I just, I walk in and out of prison so easily now and I am comfortable in communities that I never would have felt comfortable in before without ABP. Part of that is racial, socioeconomic, because I've had the opportunity to do AVP in Central America, the fact that I, you know, I, I, there are homes in Central America where I can walk in and I'm at home. So AVP has, take, has given me the opportunity to have friendships where I never would have had friendships before. And that, that's pretty important for my learning. There is a community of people who have participated in AVP. It's almost like you recognize each other. There's something that unites. When you were, you mentioned Central America, did you work in prisons or in the community? That was in communities. AVP, as I said, started in prisons in the United States in mid seventies. And in the US, at least until this year with COVID, it was, 80% of the workshops were in prisons, 20% were in communities, roughly. But worldwide, it's the reverse. 80% is in communities, 20% is in prisons, roughly. And so in Central America, almost all of the work is in communities, working through churches, working with mothers of the disappeared and other groups dealing with the traumas of civil war. In Honduras, it's um, Tejadores de Sueños, Dreamweavers, which is works with the Sisters of Mercy. So a lot of different inroads into the communities. And you mentioned trauma also as somewhat an underlying cause for why somebody might end up in prison. But then there is also trauma in the community. So it seems that, I mean, trauma is really there for so many of us. We might not yeah. realize. Do you feel that when people take these workshops, they maybe see their past differently? Maybe they can identify some of the root causes for some of the problems they're experiencing? In some cases, first workshop, it's just this eye-opener for people. I think it's more likely those who choose to do not just the basic but advanced workshops and continue to be involved with the program. That It's layers. You go deeper and deeper and deeper. I want to do a little bit of a, a turn just thinking about trauma and how AVP in much of the world works in places where there's been civil war and extensive trauma. As I said, I was in El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, areas with significant either civil wars in the 80s and or gang violence and, and domestic violence today. In Africa, AVP was active in, in Rwanda post-genocide, that when the Gachacha courts were established, it was AVP that was used to train these community elders to become judges because in Rwanda, it would have taken, what, 100 years to try all of the genocide cases. You can't do it. They, you don't have a court system to handle that. So they used AVP to train the gachacha judges 
at which point that system said, if you acknowledge what you did and apologize, you go home. It's only the leaders that go to jail because you can't incarcerate everybody from the genocide. So now you have the survivors and the perpetrators living side by side and the, through AVP develop healing and rebuilding communities, HEROC. And so that insight about trauma from Africa within Central America and Colombia in, in Asia West Pacific, that understanding of trauma in, informed AVP and now it's coming back to the United States. So you have this wonderful system that AVP went from the United States around the world, but now other parts of the world are informing AVP in the US, which is the way it should be, right? And a tool for healing because I'm, I would imagine that it might sound satisfying to say, here's a perpetrator, here's a victim, we punished the perpetrator, but that doesn't heal the victim. When harm is done, we need the person who is at the receiving end of harm needs healing. And the person who caused the harm, we want them to acknowledge the harm they caused and make restitution. Yeah. To be able to do that requires that that person heal too. The majority of people in prison are going to come home. Who do I want to have coming out of prison? I have a strong self-interest in the people coming out of prison, coming out a better person. AVPers tell me it is one of the powerful forces in helping people come out better. And what you said before about the one who has been done harm needs healing and the perpetrator needs to acknowledge. Now, I would say society thinks whoever is in prison is the perpetrator, but are they not also people who have experienced harm considering maybe where they lived and how they lived before? Oh, yes. Yeah. And these are folks who grew up many I won't say everybody, but many are folks who grew up with violence, grew up with family members being killed, grew up where there was systemic violence, the, the, the challenges of poverty, the challenges of parents absent because some of them, their, their families, family members were incarcerated. I don't know the exact numbers, but the, the majority of the women in these maximum prisons were abused as children. You know, they, they grew up with sexual abuse. Most of the people in prison that I've met learned violence at an early age. Yeah, and that does really sound like there would be a need to extend a program like AVP further into the community, into schools, so maybe could it be avoided that somebody, you know, continues on their path of violence and goes to prison? Could we interrupt that? Oh, yeah. And it's not as common in the U.S. as it is in some other countries. But yeah, we do have AVP in schools. Um, I'm now living in Indiana. Our local high school has an AVP program. They, there's a, a class that does AVP. I don't know if it's on a daily basis now with the remote learning, but yeah, they, they do AVP. There are middle schools that have AVP clubs. Oh yes, I'm an advocate of doing it in community too. Yeah, and each state has its own AVP organization, right, in the US. 
Uh, I can't say that every state has them, but yeah, it is organized by local area councils. Sometimes a whole state has just one area council. Sometimes it's divided into regions, depending on how many programs there are. And so each of these areas, they would organize workshops so people can either just take it for their own purpose or continue to become a facilitator and then also do workshops. Some people might choose to go into prison. And then there's also AVP USA who also organizes events, right? AVP USA is primarily to support the local groups. Uh, AVP USA doesn't organize workshops, though they do conferences, they support exchange of ideas. It's one of the wonderful things with COVID is workshops going online. And I was among the skeptics and I'm now participating in, a, in online workshops. And it's a wonderful opportunity because you don't have to wait for something in my neighborhood. And some workshops follow in person. We usually do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, full weekend. And some online workshops are doing that, uh, but others are doing a series of three Saturdays. Some are doing two weekday nights for a series of weeks. So the opportunity to do it on one's own schedule has significantly expanded at this time of COVID night. And so right now we are in the pandemic, probably the rest of the year, and prisons are closed for AVP volunteers, right? I don't know yeah. any prisons that have active volunteer programs right now. Thinking about how important AVP was for the residents in the prisons, and now they had none of that for already a year. What do you expect would you find when you go back? Well, I'm going to correct you on they have none of it. Um, there is some correspondence that goes on. As a volunteer, I can't correspond one-on-one -on -one with people, but the AVP organization corresponds with people on the inside. So we have newsletters that go in and out. Oh, well, they go in. Uh, we have inside facilitators writing out. So though our, communi our communication is certainly limited, it is there and the insiders tell us how important AVP is. And my guess is we will first work with the inside team that they have gone through a tremendously stressful, traumatizing time. And so simply to rebuild the facilitator community will be our first step. In some prisons, we've got the facilitators sitting there waiting. In other prisons, a lot of them have been released. Uh, especially places like Fishkill and Deconic, which are sort of going home prisons. And for yourself, it sounded like you, while you couldn't facilitate in prison, you took to online workshops. And what do you see yourself? Where is your passion for the next few years? Well, I've been doing AVP since 2003, I think, is when I trained and became active in 2005. 2009 is when I lost my paid work and Ted and I decided we could live on one income, his, and I became sort of a full-time AVP volunteer. So I've been doing a lot of AVP. And I think right now I see myself in, in many ways as a mentor, helping to get the new generation of 
leadership in the prisons where I may have been the coordinator, helping others become coordinators, training facilitators. I moved out of New York area, anticipate becoming involved in prisons in the Indiana, Ohio area. Are you okay with my following up on something yeah. you asked a long time ago that I don't think I answered ever, which was the position of equality with inside facilitators? I mean, in some ways we are one team and I learned tremendously from inside facilitators, some of whom are very skilled, some of whom are not very skilled, maybe very dedicated, but it is an interesting situation. As I said, as a volunteer, there are boundaries. I can think of us as being equal, but we're not. I go out of the gate in the evening, but the insiders don't. So it is an awareness of we're all the same and we live in different worlds. I don't want to pretend that those differences don't exist. And you ask where I might be going with my work. Part of it is as I continually understand racial justice more and more deeply, where am I called to work? Um, so I would say AVP has been a calling. As a Quaker, I feel each of us has a ministry. Mine has been AVP for the past 15 years and I will discern whether it continues to be or whether there are other directions that these same skills get applied. I'm interested in um, how do we do reconciliation in this country? How do we have circles where we listen to each other across political divides? Margaret, thank you for this interesting and introspective conversation. For my listeners, if any of you would like more information about AVP USA and AVP New York, the contacts are in the show notes. What Chance podcast is created in New York with original music by Max Elias and cover art by Hernan Braberman.